Aldous Huxley was an English writer and philosopher. He wrote nearly 50 books. And here's his quote about history. That men do not learn very much from the lessons of history is the most important of all the lessons of history. Welcome to the History Slices Podcast. A mother-son duo discussing awesome bits of history. We prove on every show that history is not boring. Entertaining, yet stimulating. This is History Slices. And now, here's your hosts, Jacob and Rachel. Hello, Jacob. Hello, Mom. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm really doing well. Pretty busy today. Good busy. Okay, that's good. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, better than bad busy. (laughs) Better than bad busy, yes. Mm -hmm. Hey, before we get into today's topic, which if I remember is Roosevelt, Yes. Honestly, can't remember which one, but <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about it. Don't worry. Okay, good. Uh, I heard from a couple of our listeners that um, they kind of could do without our intro. I wanted to put it out there to all of our listeners to get a little bit more feedback. If you would prefer to not have an intro and just have me and Jacob come in and say, hello, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, please let us know. Or, um, or conversely, a different intro. Uh, or, or yeah, or maybe a different intro altogether. Maybe you don't like mm-hmm. the one that we've got and you want us to get another one. So we'd love to hear your feedback on that. You can uh, message us on Facebook, Instagram, or email us at info at history slices.com. We don't want you to be annoyed by an intro, yeah. right? So never say that we don't care for our audience. <laughs> <laughs> but we'd love to hear from you. And yeah. whether or not it's about the intro, the outro, you just want to chime in and say, hey, guys, how's it going? We would love to hear from you. So that'd be awesome, too. But absolutely. Back to the matter at hand, back Jacob. To Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt. <laughs> Theodore That's Roosevelt. The one. Yeah. Okay. So I was thinking. Yes. Not that long ago this morning, I was thinking, okay, Roosevelt, that's who we're talking about today. There's Theodore and there's FDR. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to like full disclosure, tell you what I know. It's going to take about 10 seconds Go for about it. each one. So um, FDR is the one who came second. Yes. And he was like FDR, New Deal, coming out of the depression, that guy. Yes. Theodore Roosevelt, all I really know about him is Rough Riders. Yes. And... um that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's totally fine. Uh, that's the base we're starting with well, today. Well, that's great because then this will be really educational, I guess. Sweet. Uh, yeah. FDR, you know, uh, just as a side note, because I'm curious, do you know what FDR's initials stand for? Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Yes. Okay. I, I, Yay, I, I, I assumed you. Yeah. <laughs> confetti starts to come down from the ceiling. No, I assumed you knew, but. Uh, you never know. He's also the one who had some sort of, he had polio or yes, something. Yes, he was okay. in the wheelchair. It was one of those things that at the time they kept it all hus hus. Right. But now everyone knows because it got like declassified. Okay, whatever. that's right. That's right. Okay, I got my Roosevelt's squared yes. away. Uh, they're actually cousins, the two of them. Oh, so that's, okay. That's, that's where that relates. Aren't is. they like, how far apart? Like 100 years or something? No, not that far. Not that far. Um, that'd be a that'd be a really distant cousin. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll. We'll get into the okay. timing of it all. Let's just dive right in because I think he's is interesting. Let's okay. dive right in. So Theodore Roosevelt Jr. He was born October twenty seventh, eighteen fifty eight, in New York City. So there's your timing there. Okay, eighteen fifty eight. I'm thinking yeah. I got to place it on my little mental timeline. That's <laughs> right before the Civil War. Yes, it's right before. Okay, he yes. was born right before. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, in New York City. His parents were named Theodore Roosevelt Sr., obviously given the junior in our right. Roosevelt's name. Spoiler. And his and his mother is named Martha Bullock Roosevelt. Uh, and the family had money. They weren't like lower class or anything. His dad was a well-to-do businessman. He really 
kind of left a mark on New York City, though it isn't always the most obvious. He founded some museums like mm. the Metropolitan Museum of Art. No kidding. And the American Museum of Natural History. And he helped found the Children's Aid Society and once other ventures. Wow. He's a busy guy. Yeah, he was. And I think that's interesting because usually the people we look at usually come from nowhere. Well, not nowhere, but, you know, they lineage, I guess. He, is that the right word? Mm-hmm, sure. Parentids. I don't know. They're usually not that well known to history other than they're this famous person's parents, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> which I'm sure would be weird if they knew. Your claim to that. fame, I birthed the famous person. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Vincent Rango's dad or whatever. Yeah. So it's an interesting kind of like, what's the word? Subversion, I guess, of that kind of what we've been looking at uh, in that. No, his dad was already well known, at least in the city, you okay. know, was wealthy and stuff. Cool. Mm-hmm. Theodore was the second child. Uh, Theodore being the one that we're talking about, not yeah, his dad. Yeah. Of course, um, he was after his sister Anna, but before Elliot and Corinne. I think that's how you say her name. Now, Theodore, he, he was um, nicknamed T.D. as a kid, which is funny to me. T.D.? Uh, <laughs> T.D., yep. He was severely asthmatic to the point that his parents had given private tutors to him because he was unable wow. to go to school. Mm-hmm. Now, despite all that, though, he was a very bright kid. He loved to read. He had an active imagination. He was also really into nature, something that would carry on throughout his whole life. Huh. Uh, he collected insects and whatnot, you know, just because he was into that. And in order to try to help him get out of his asthma or at least help, you know, clear it up or I don't know how asthma works. Yeah. <laughs> Full disclaimer. <laughs> but, you know, his mom would take him out on trips to the country, basically, to try okay. to help with that. He also wrote in journals. He kept journals about different animals and plants and stuff oh, that cool. he saw. Yeah. He even, this is kind of funny, and it's very much like something a kid would do, I feel like. He made a makeshift, quote unquote, museum in his bedroom. Well, um, that's really cool. Not too surprising since his dad was involved in museum making. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, but he just put like a lot of like, these are leaves and rocks and stuff I found, <laughs> you know, and here's some bugs. Um, I love that. Kids are awesome. Yeah. Now, the thing you need to understand about being in the upper class in that time period was that you were expected to behave a certain way. I mean, obviously, that's still true to an extent. But it was a different than, you know, the the rules were different. Mm-hmm. Like, um you weren't supposed to hang out with the lower class, for example. Like you're kept on your side of the fence, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And um, you had to be very much like your image was very much like you had to be polite and moral and refined, you know, at least in public. Because <laughs> um, in private, who cares? And part of this role the upper class had to play was that every Sunday, right, they had to go to church. Obviously, the lower class did as well, but the upper class, it was, you know, it's like a bit of a different affair. You know, you yeah. dressed up. Uh, it was like a day-long thing. You know, Theodore hated this, not because he was like anti-religion or anything, but he was a very much not a suit and tie type of a person. Mm. You know, he was very much, like, it was the one time he wasn't allowed to kind of be himself mm-hmm. and kind of just be not a wild style, but, you know, like a rough and tumble outdoorsy kid. Yeah. Which I get. I mean, you shouldn't be selfish, you know, and sometimes you have to do things you don't want to do because that's life. That's yeah. a social contract. But uh, at the same time, I know how much of a drag it is to like, <laughs> you know, be somewhere you don't want to be and play a part. It's like uh, when you're in a meeting or something that you just like, I, I really don't have to be here. This doesn't really like affect me. Uh, this is taking like oh, two I, hours. That's so annoying it's when that so, happens. like dull. Yeah. And then add to that being buttoned up and got to wear a tie and scratchy pants. And <laughs> being like a, a younger kid yeah. who has less patience just naturally, you know? <laughs> yeah. So anyways, an interesting event of note took place in uh, 1869. He's 10 at this point. 
his family went on a 12-month vacation slash trip to Europe. Wow. This is quite the venture. Yeah. Um, but I guess they're rich, so. Yeah. Uh, they visited a bunch of different countries. They went to in Italy. They went to Germany. They went to England. They wow. They just kind of in the, I guess, Western Europe and amongst some others. And Theodore, he was not impressed. Uh, he said that both him and his siblings, this is a direct quote, cordially hated it. Oh my um, gosh. That I wonder how much of that is due to immaturity. Yeah. I mean, being 10, you know, like you're being slugged all over the, the countryside. Staying like, at different places yeah, and stuff. I, I, could, yeah. I could see why that might be, you know, his response. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing about Roosevelt, and we'll get into it, but he went on a lot of different trips internationally throughout his life. Mm. So and it wasn't that he was against traveling. I think he just, that one was just a bad trip, yeah, I guess. Okay. That's fair enough. (laughs) Different kind of trip than Timothy Leary's bad trips. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even think of that, but yeah, man, to see those two sit down together, that'd be amazing. So when he was 13, Theodore Sr. gave his son a shotgun, which at the time was, I guess, more common. Yeah. Still is common in some parts, I guess. That's on our thing. But Roosevelt, TD, he was a bad sot, which was pretty upsetting to him because his peers made fun of him because he's like, uh, his reputation, oh, well, you can't, you know, aim or anything. And uh, he also, he, especially later on in life, I think even at this early states, he puts a lot of value in like personal achievement and ability Mm -hmm. to like overcome things. Mm. Uh, Well, he quickly figured out why he was struggling with suiting because his friend or a friend, I should say, he gave him a chance to hit a billboard in the distance. He was nearsighted and he realized that at that point, like, oh, that's okay. So what his dad did, he went and got him some glasses and he, Theodore Roosevelt, he had a quote about this and it's one that I relate to as a fellow glasses wearer, <laughs> um, like on a deep spiritual level. No, he said, uh. I had no idea how beautiful the world was until I got those spectacles. Wow. Which is true. Like uh, you put it on and suddenly everything's in high definition, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. 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 I think that's something that a lot of people who wear glasses and that, that first pair is like, mm-hmm. wow. Yeah. Because I'm nearsighted cool. too. I'm yeah. pretty sure. Anyways, his newfound sight uh, led to an even greater fascination. I don't want to say obsession, though that might have been it, uh-huh. honestly, uh, with the natural world. Imagine um, that just opened it all up. He started because uh, he would suit at birds, right? Just because that was what you did with guns back then. And he would start practicing taxidermy on them. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which is interesting. Uh, I think taxidermy is kind of an, in, not to be on my soapbox. I think it's an interesting kind of like thing, but it weirds me out when people like taxidermy their dead pets or whatever. Like that weirds me out. Yeah. Because uh, it's not like you're, they're not going to. It's not a good memory of them where it's like, oh, yes, I remember he just stood there most in the corner <laughs> for like <laughs> five I hear years. You. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that, although I mean, I kind of agree with you, though, on the whole thing it is it's pretty fascinating and it it's is. kind of a neat way to preserve something that's so beautiful. You might not be able to see up close like the birds, you know, they yeah. just fly on by. You don't see them. But to try to preserve a pet is it's kind a little strange. weird to yeah. me, but yeah, but like overall, it's an interesting thing. I'm not against it. it. It's yeah, just, yeah. Not to put down anybody who. Yeah, of course. Uh, is this, that's just what came to my mind <laughs> when I, uh, when I read about it. I'm like, yeah. oh, oh yeah, that's a thing. Okay. The next major trips the Roosevelt's took was in 1870 through 1871. It kind of overlapped through the new year, I guess. It was in the Mediterranean, uh, which, as well as like countries like Alon, you know, Egypt and Syria and Greece and one, whatever. And the uh, thing that separated this trip from the last trip is that Theodore enjoyed it. He loved being in the Mediterranean. 
he collected a lot more birds, whatever, you know, he was like, mm-hmm. it was like this, this area is cool. I like this. Um, I don't know if he disliked Europe so much as it was just, he was older mm-hmm. than, and couldn't appreciate it more. Well, later that same year, Theodore, he went on a solo Vincer to Maine to, I don't know, I guess it was just to like have a Vincer on his own or to, you know, man up a bit or whatever. Huh, so he was about 13 though, you said? Around that time, okay. yeah. Okay, all right. That's young to be on his own, but times are different. Yeah. And maybe he was going to visit an aunt or something. Maybe, <laughs> I don't know. Well, on the train ride there, um, some older boys started harassing him Uh-oh. due to his appearance because he's a skinny, asthmatic kid with glasses. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, we can, we can, you know, beat up this guy. I don't know if they beat him up, but, you know, they bothered him. Yeah. Uh, and he was very much like, he was upset about the whole encounter. Um, so when he came home, he told his dad the whole story and his dad gave him some life advice. Toughen up. Well, okay. It was more along the lines of you need to be stronger physically in order to defend yourself. But I read it as toughen up. Um, <laughs> and, but he was, which is more like an emotional thing. If you say yeah. toughen up and toughen up as far as build, you know, get stronger. That's a practical advice. Yeah. But you it think is. it was more of the emotional? Well, no, I'm just thinking that I think there's just different ways of saying the same thing. Okay. Okay. Well, what his dad did, and this is how you know his dad's rich, he hired a prize fighter to teach Theodore how oh to box. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, so this was a start. As if the trips to Europe didn't give it away. Yeah, so this was a start of a lifelong mission to uh, improve Theodore's body. He was like a health nut wow. later on in life. So he was doing daily exercising. He was weightlifting. He was doing all, all sorts of stuff. It's cool when you can look back and pinpoint a moment in your life that, mm-hmm. that you decided to make a change. Yeah, absolutely. So it was the goal of the family for Theodore to go to Harvard, uh, which is a bit ambitious, all things considered. Like, sort of, they were upper class and they had money, but he had been homeschooled this whole time, and he was pretty bad at math, which, again, I relate to. Um, <laughs> so they hired a tutor to help in that regard, and two years later, in 1875 or so, uh, he passed the interest exam to Harvard. Cool. Yeah. I'm sorry, just to say this, because you probably don't have any idea, but back in that time, a lot of people were homeschooled compared to now. Well, actually, yeah, compared to now. Okay. I think it was more common, but I don't, that doesn't mean, I don't know, my brain is just wondering about sure. statistics getting to Harvard and stuff like that. Which I is don't not, know the statistics, yeah. so I didn't I, think to look. And, and I, I wouldn't have expected you to. It was just curious. Just mm-hmm. my brain. Sure, no, it's fine. Like, with a lot of things, we look at historical context. There's a lot of potentially relevant stuff that slips under radar because it's would not be related, but it is somehow because yeah. that's how life works. Yeah. Well, in college, he blossomed very much so. Uh, he started making like friends, like proper friends, and he got to a point where he joined some of the college societies that were going on there. You know, uh, he partook in boxing tournaments, a rowing competition, some um, uh, political parades and debates. He loved debates. Again, I relate. <laughs> and he would get into them all the time with other students, with his professors. Just, you know, unfortunately, the good times, as always, they come to an end. Uh, it was in his sophomore year, they found out his dad was very sick. Uh-oh. So he went back home to be with him. And his dad's health did begin to kind of improve a while. So cool. Theodore was like, all right, okay, cool. So he went back to Harvard. And soon after that, his dad died. Oh. Which is very tragic. It is, because it seems like he was a, a nice and supportive dad. Yeah, he did. Well, as you can imagine, this was all very depressing on Theodore, because I think he was very close to his dad. Though, he kept it bottled up. You know, he tried to overcome his grief by hiking was helped, you know. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't, he was very kind of stoic about it. Um, mm-hmm. Which you find 
if you look through like his life, he was like he did that with a lot of grief. He kind of just like dealt with right, it on his own. And, on, yeah. yeah. So 1879, he met Alice Lee, whom he would later go on to marry the next year. Uh, which is kind of seems like a bit of a whirlwind romance to me, but I guess times might have been different then or whatever. Yeah. Your dad and I were married within a year of meeting each other too. See, and look how that turned <laughs> out. Right. Actually, I apologize. It was, it was a year and two months. Yeah. I don't think he's going to listen to this. So you're fine. <laughs> um, now he married her around the time he graduated Harvard to put that in kind of context. And after, soon after that, he were, um, enrolled in Columbia university for a law degree. He was a busy, busy boy because while he was doing this, he was also working at his uncle's law firm. And Helps it was, to have connections. Yeah, it was also around this time that he wrote a book on the War of 1812. He would go on to write like a couple books, I wow. think. But I thought it was relevant to Minson because that's interesting. That is cool. It was like he was looking for like a book on the subject. He couldn't find one that he liked. So I was like, I'll just write my own. Wow. <laughs> and uh, in 1881, the couple, they took a summer trip to Europe. And while they were in Switzerland, he climbed the Matterhorn, which in case you don't know or any of our listeners don't know, it's a kind of famous mountain in, the, in that area. Yeah, and I, sorry to interject, but uh, I believe there's a Matterhorn at Disneyland, Disney World, uh, roller coaster ride. <laughs> oh, really? That's yeah. interesting. See, I, I never been, so I wouldn't know. Yeah. Um, and it was on this trip that he, I guess he's doing some soul searching or whatever, but he decided not to go into law and instead go into politics. Oh, wow. So, which I mean, he was already interested in, of yeah. course, but I guess he just decided that was more his field. Wow. Needless to say, all the stuff we've been talking about, like his whole life up to this point, shows how much of a character this guy was. Uh, and keep that in mind when we get into like his political career and like people's reactions to him. Because he was very much this outspoken, you know, always had his mind. He was very bold, you know, and he he went from like this asthmatic nature boy to like this full grown grizzly bear of a man nature boy, you know. <laughs> that's that's really cool. So remind me what uh, his age was about this time or the year when he decided to go into politics. He was like in his early 30s or okay, so. Okay. Late 20s, early 30s, something yeah, like that. Okay. Around that time. I don't know the exact, but you have to understand at the time... People saw politics in a slightly different light than we do now. I mean, it was still a lot of the same bickering and and division and whatnot, of course, because that's always going to be the thing. But believe it or not, if you're a higher class, wealthy person, politics was seen as beneath you. Like that's not, you know, that that's for the scrubs, you know. Mm, I, I've got that's um, interesting. Yeah, yeah, which I don't really get, but I guess it was just the time, you know, the attitude. Yeah, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. So this decision of his to be like, I'm going to go into politics. His friends and family kind of were understandably, they had some skepticism about it, you know, and concern. Like, is this smart? <laughs> I don't know if this is the right choice for you to do. Regardless of that whole disagreement, he ended up joining the Republican Party. He always kind of did what he wanted, I guess. He was like, no, I'm doing this. I've set my sights on it. He was really stubborn in that sense and really kind of like... When he, and we'll get more into it, but when he was invested in something, he threw his whole, like, mm-hmm. person into that thing, mm-hmm. which I can see the problems with that from like, just, like, a mental health standpoint, but I kind of admire that. I think that's kind of a cool yeah, thing. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a great trait to have for a leader. Yeah. No, I think so, too. Well, when he put his head on something, he usually succeeded, usually, like I said, and he quickly got the party's nomination for a New York State Assembly seat, because mm-hmm. remember, he's from New York City, mm-hmm. uh, which he won. Now, both parties didn't think too much of him. 
his attitude and sense of dress was entirely different from like everyone else, you know, it's like this weird Ritz guy. He thinks he's a cowboy or something like that. You oh, know? that's this, funny. Yeah. He's this, uh, he seemed a little out of place to them, yeah, like an seemed, outsider or something. Yeah, a little out of place, but this didn't distrait him though, because of course it didn't because he's Theodore Roosevelt and he does what he wants. So in terms of his own politics, they kind of reflect in himself and his own view of stuff, you know, which I think they should, you know, he believed that the individual was in charge of their own fate, though he also knew that the people who had money and power often made the system unfair or like a little guy and they had more opportunities, you know, either intentionally or just that's just how the system worked. So he wanted to make it easier for all Americans to be able to find success on their own accord and stuff. Wow. Uh, I'm just, I mean, you're, you're going through this so well, you're putting it together so well. I'm oh, just like, like pausing and thinking about about him. And so he has already in his young life overcome asthma and, you know, getting strong. Mm. And, and he's, so he's seen himself, the successes he's had when he put your mind to something like getting yeah. stronger or whatever, you can overcome it. But he also, like I said, I, you know, he had the position with his uncle at the law firm and yeah. it's like, okay, well that, that's something that comes with privilege because you know, somebody yes. who, so it's really cool to, for him to be so self-aware and then step down, to, <laughs> you know, to politics, yeah. to try to influence. To, yeah, to recognize that, you know, the difference between my own accomplishments and mm-hmm. I come from a wealthy background <laughs> and that helped, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to be able to tell that difference uh, where I don't know if everyone would be able to. He's like, well, I did it, you could do it too. Um, but he's like, well, no, that doesn't it's, it entirely work like that yeah. because there are other factors at play. Well, in uh, 1883, he won his third term in the New York State Assembly, and a few months later, his wife gave birth to a daughter, which is good news. But unfortunately, uh, not long after that, he lost both his wife and mother to illness. Oh, no. Right. They died around the same time. Oh, no. Um, And in his diary, he wrote, the light has gone from my life. This is very sad. Well, that does take someone right out of you. Yeah. So he took a few days to grieve. Then he returned. A few days. Yeah. You know, just in like isolation. He's like, I don't want to do any work. I don't want to, you know, just let it out. And then he returned to finish his term. He left his daughter with his sister for her to take care of just because while he was away. Mm -hmm. Now, even though a good number of people were turned off by his whole himself, um, (laughs) other people really liked him. They're really interesting because he was brass. It was uncompromising. You know, it's like, oh, hey, I can see this guy as like a leader or something. You know, there are people in politics that were like, actually, I like that guy. You know, he's he's cool or whatever. However, after the dual tragedy of, you know, the loss of his family, he needed some time away from all that to kind of recover fully, you know, like a, so he went on a hiatus and in 1884, he retired to a ranch that he had bought in North Dakota. Um, wow. Yeah, I know. Um, that's quite a difference from New York City. Yes. Fun fact, this next section in my notes, I have titled Cowboy Years. as <laughs> like a fun side note. Um, the locals of Medora, which was the town that his ranch was near, they also thought he was a goof, so to speak, huh. you know, because... You know, again, this soft, rich guy comes in to play cowboy. He does no respect or knowledge of the ranch. Yeah. Life, you know, all that stuff. Well, after people got to know him and and his general, like, badassness, if you'll pardon the term, uh, they kind of began to respect him more because they realized, oh, no, this guy's actually, like, has been outdoors before. He knows kind of how to do this stuff, kind of, and he learned quickly and all mm-hmm. that. He, he was invested. Mm-hmm. Um he had some more people to help out on the ranch, but because it's a big thing. But if accounts are believed, he pulled his own weight, so to say. 
and he was out there helping them yeah. and working with them and stuff. Uh, and to give an example of him being awesome, uh, once a few years into this kind of period of his life, he had caught some thieves stealing a boat. I don't know why he'd steal a boat, but <laughs> he caught some thieves doing that. So he single-handedly captured them and went on a three-day journey to the Seraph, to the town, uh, with them in tow. Oh, my god! And throughout this whole time, he never slept. He just kept his eyes on them, his gun on them, like, constantly. Wow. Which is terrifying. <laughs> if you heard this, this random guy trying to steal a boat, and then suddenly this, like, crazy guy comes out. But you That know. was quite a feat. Right. Because I'm sure they were sleeping, and he's here trying, wow. <laughs> yeah, so what, what <laughs> that a That is Z, pretty awesome. Right? Well, in life, all things come to an end, as you know. And he ended up uh, losing half his livestock to the winter of uh, 1886, 1887, like that time. Wow. Which, from the sounds of it, was a particularly bad winter. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's like, all right, that was fun. I think I've, I think it's time for me to come back to the East Coast. So mm-hmm. he did. Uh, he married again, this time to a woman named Edith Carroll. Uh, and the two of them would end up having five kids. Wow. Like, over the course of their, of that. So. He's back in New York. He's back, you know, in his old stomping grounds. The Republican leaders really wanted him back in politics, specifically to run for mayor of New York City. Hmm. And he was like, ain't no thing but chicken win. My words, not his. <laughs> and um, despite not having much of a chance of winning, he put his he put his whole effort into it. And to be fair, he did pretty well. He got third place, which was 27% of the vote or so. It's not, not bad. Not too savvy. Yeah. yeah. And when he lost that, though, he decided his whole politics thing wasn't really working out. He's like, it's not really for me, I guess, huh. you know. So because he was having like some mixed kind of success, failure, mm-hmm. you know, was it like. Um, doesn't, he doesn't sound like somebody who could handle failure very well. Yeah. So he focused attention on writing and he ended up writing a book named The Winning of the West, mm. uh, which I haven't read and I didn't read about because <laughs> I was just like, oh, that's interesting. Moving yeah, on. Yeah. Um, I think it might be about his time. In North Dakota, but I could be wrong. I bet that's really interesting. Yeah. So in uh, 1888, he, he never really like kind of left his interest in politics. Um, Benjamin Harrison was running for president at the time. So he started giving speeches on his behalf, being like, hey, hmm. this guy's cool. Maybe we can serve voting for him. And if you know anything about Benjamin Harrison, you know that he did eventually win the race. He I recognize the last name. Yeah. Yeah. Well, President Harrison was um, persuaded by those who are fans of Roosevelt to appoint him to the U.S. Civil Service Commission. And Roosevelt, he took to it like he did to anything with a fierce can-do attitude and <laughs> persistent stubbornness. It's, especially since this was like his chance to try to even the playing field for the common man, which is kind of, you know, his whole thing. Mm-hmm. And like fight corruption because he was very much not for that. And it was the civil what? Uh, the U.S. Civil Service Commission. Civil Service, okay. Mm-hmm. By 1894, he was appointed president of the board of New York City Police Commissioners. Wow. Uh, it was a long title, but basically like what it sounds like, mm-hmm. you know. And he went around in that position trying to improve the police force, you know, get rid of corruption, having more strict rules for recruitment. Love this guy, by the way, because uh, mm. I feel like that's a good thing to have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, not to be too topical, of course, but I think... We all know how bad it can get if the police aren't held accountable yeah. for potential corruption. Yeah, and if you reach back, like if you look back across the span of history, mm-hmm. law enforcement, quote unquote law enforcement, you know, when <laughs> from like the dark ages, you know, yeah. like how awful it can be for people who are in power unchecked. Yeah, and to misuse yeah. that. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So three years later, um, the president, he made Roosevelt the assistant secretary to Navy 
and he became a strong advocate for uh, for increasing the Navy's size because, of course, at the time, the Navy's aren't as, I guess, relevant nowadays, but at the time, that was like a big defense military thing. Mm-hmm. I'm sure people who are in the Navy probably think it's pretty relevant. Uh, no, it so. is. It is. But I mean, it's not as relevant, right, you know. Right. Um, then the Spanish-American Wars happened. Do you know about this? In the, the 1890s? Are you in the 1890s or the what years? I was like 1890, I'm pretty sure. This is this is the uh this is a time when he got the Rough Riders together, right? And mm-hmm. it was the um this was when Cuba was trying to get independence and Spain was fighting in Spain fighting in Cuba? So basically, it's a it's a kind of a complicated affair. It's actually related to our Ebor City episode. Yes, it is. Yeah. What happened was that Cuba was having a whole war of independence thing mm-hmm. going on from Spain. Mm-hmm. America sent the USS Maine to protect American interests because Cuba is like right in our backyard. Uh, however, the SIP exploded in Havana Harbor and Spain was blamed. We don't know for sure what the cause was. It's a matter of debate among historians and... Mm. But that's that's awful to have that kind of question mark in history. Yeah. Still don't know what happened to that ship. <laughs> well, it exploded. We just don't yeah. know the cause. Uh, regardless, Spain was blamed by America. So we went to war for a time. There's a lot more to it. It's just like an explanation for those who don't know what that was. Right. It only lasted a few months. So at least our involvement in it lasted a few months. So that's why we usually don't hear about it, I guess, because it was kind of more of a blip on the radar mm-hmm. of history as opposed to like, World War II or whatever, you sure, know. Sure, yeah. Um, enter Theodore Roosevelt. And remember, he was like the assistant secretary to the Navy. So when the Maine blew up, he had a month's new SIPs built. And once war was declared, he resigned and formed the first U.S. Volunteer Cavalry Regiment. Wow. Which the press dubbed the Rough Riders. Wow. Mm-hmm. So they were all just all volunteers. Yeah. Uh, so they trained for a bit in San Antonio, and then they went to Cuba to help in the war. I kind of... For the sake of time, I kind of skipped a lot of like that would, his, because that would be a whole that's a whole thing, thing. yeah. But uh, needs to say he was very he showed a lot of bravery and courage and helped turn the tide in some battles and stuff. Mm. So you know the public it really increased his reputation because he's like oh this guy he ain't no like armchair politician right, saying other yeah. people to fight and die in his wars. He's like no I'm there I'm on the I'm on the front lines you know. So that's cool. Wow. Um, after the war, he decided to run for governor of New York, which he won, but only barely. As governor, he was very open and, open and passionate about Sanford the rights of the underprivileged and was also very much against monopolies and for ecological preservation. Mm. And I love this guy because <laughs> like, <laughs> a lot of stuff I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah. Um, I said, I don't agree with everything he said, but a lot of his stuff he's for. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm I hear that. That's not a. It's not a terrible idea. <laughs> so 1900, new century. And it was a rough run of that, but that's not here nor there. The brass of the Republican Party, they wanted Roosevelt to try for the, at the time, vacant vice presidential spot in the upcoming presidential election. Um, vacant vice president. Sorry. No, I know that it used but. it. Well, it's confusing because I'm thinking now somebody who's running for president chooses a running mate. Mm-hmm. But I know in the past... And by the way, this is coming, I think, from the Hamilton musical. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> it used to be. Um, oh, you finished. Yeah, sorry. No, it's fine. Uh, somebody I know gets what elected you're president, and like whoever was second in line gets to be vice president, or whoever yeah. was like the runner up. Yeah, that's not the case at this point. Okay. I, I, I'm not entirely sure how that went. And, yeah. and the 
source I was looking at, I was like, you went for vice president. Like, cool. I'm like, well, how do you, what does that mean? Yeah. I guess this is a different system okay. or slightly okay. different than. Okay. Regardless. We'll take that at face value. <laughs> we'll take that at face value. It's fine. Don't worry about it. He responded with a kind of like, I guess, okay. My award's not his, you know, whatever. We're just having fun. Something like that. Uh, <laughs> as he would have it, he won the, um, uh, he became William McKinley's vice president. Like the Republican nominees and they're like, okay, cool. We, we're okay with you being vice president. As you have learned by now, when he becomes invested in something, he throws all of it into it, as I've said. So he made more than 400 speeches across 23 states. Um, wow. Kind of like gaining support, drawing wow. support. That's and, a ton. And they won. William McKinley became the 25th president on March 1st, 1901. Theodore Roosevelt became vice president. And I have a question for you. Do you know what the most memorable thing about President McKinley is? Uh, what I can really think of is Mount McKinley. Um, <laughs> okay, I didn't, I didn't think about so that. Let me, so let me think the most about his presidency. Well, McKinley. I mean, if you don't immediately know it, then no, you don't know I it. I don't know. Uh, he was assassinated. No kidding. Yeah. He, uh, Isn't it terrible that I don't even know that? Mm-hmm. He was. Sought, I don't even know if he was a good president or... Uh, I don't know. He somebody was, didn't think so. No, he was sought by an anarchist named Leon. Polis last name. I don't, huh. I don't, I don't know how to say it. It's got like two Z's in it. Okay. Kozlgs, I don't it's know. okay. Whatever. I butchered it. Sorry. Um, <laughs> whatever. He was stopped by an anarchist. And uh, six months after the election. Oh, my So not goodness. too far into it. He was, by the way, the third president to be assassinated after uh, Lincoln and uh, James A. Garfield. My um, gosh. And that was how Theodore Roosevelt became president. I had of, no uh, idea. He wasn't elected. I thought he was elected. I no. was waiting for him. And then he ran for president. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, that's, so he only served out that one term? Well, we're going to get to okay. it. Okay, that's fascinating, though. Mm-hmm. Gosh, thanks for teaching me. Yeah, you learn something new every day there. You're smarter <laughs> learned already. learned about 15 things today yeah. already. <laughs> so he was 42 years old at the time. He holds the record currently for the youngest president. Still. Yeah, and as president, he put like, all on his good old determination and stubbornness so that when the next election came, because he wanted to be able to win on his own term, like right. a second right. term, I guess. He, he wanted people to... You want me elected legitimately, mm-hmm. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, not by default. Yeah, not through some tragic circumstance. Uh, so he created 40, as president, some of the stuff he did, I should just say, prefers that. He created 44 antitrust suits, which resulted in breaking up of like northern security companies and putting a lot of regulatory controls on standard oil. If all that sounds confusing, don't worry about it. Basically, he was breaking up some monopolies, mm-hmm. um, which is good because... Monopolies are mm-hmm. bad for Business, free market. Yeah. Yeah. His main focus, at least uh, what seemed to be his main focus, you know, who knows other than he was pretty outspoken. So I guess we all know was on conservation. He, oh, did he form the con- the conservation corps? I don't know if he, uh, sorry, sorry. I don't know if he formed that in particular, but what he did do is he made five natural parks. He created the United States forest service and he put 230 million acres of land under public protection. Wow. So he was very wow. passionate about that. In regards to international affairs, he's actually got some, not flag, well, I guess flag. Some people think he's a little too imperialistic and like how he handled some of these international stuff mm-hmm. was fair enough. But in terms of good things he did, at least, uh, he got involved with the Russo-Japanese War, uh, which was a whole thing, basically... Um, this is a whole different topic right, entirely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Russo went to war briefly with Japan because 
they wanted to try to um, smooth tensions in their own country because this is in the lead up to their revolution, but that still weighs wow. off. And they got soundly defeated by Japan because they underestimated it, and it was a big embarrassment for them. Anyways, that's that. Reputed conflict, he helped with the Treaty of Portsmouth, which not only ended the war, but won him a Nobel Peace Prize. Wow. Yeah. So everybody <laughs> everybody agreed that was a good thing? Yeah, yeah, because he ended a war. That's uh, awesome. That was, that's yeah. always a good thing. That's always a good Not thing. hard to agree on that. Yeah. And you know the Panama Canal? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was that was his doing That as was well. him? Yeah. So it was a 1903 deal. He made Panama to make a large, well, for a person it's large. We actually have a picture of it. It's actually quite small canal that goes straight through the country. Which was great which because is the ne- oh, before that wasn't, weren't we having to go all, people are having to go all the way around South America yeah, to get. Yeah, in your Antarctica, basically, yeah. to get from the yeah. Atlantic to Pacific Pretty or vice huge. versa. And Panama, for those who don't know geography, is like the narrowest part of the supercontinent. It's, if you're going to cut through it, that would be the easiest yeah. way to do it. Yeah. Anyway, so that really helped, like, just from a global perspective, like trade and all that. 1904, next presidential election, right? Theodore Roosevelt, obviously, he's running for a second term, as we've established. And, of course, his opponent was the Democrat Alton Brooks Parker, who was a New York politician. and he wasn't, like, I don't think he was, like, super big, but, you know, he was involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and to Parker's credit, he did have support. He still lost, but uh, Roosevelt won 56% of the popular vote, wow. so it was very close. Yeah. Uh, the Electoral College was a little more on his side with... Uh, 336 out of 476 votes. Wow. Uh, hopefully it's not too confusing for people who don't know how American yeah. elections work. Because <laughs> Bas- that's so Yeah. yeah. B- basically, uh, he won, but it was close. That's what to take away from that. Um, so It really seems like he did a lot of good things. Mm-hmm. Well, I know you hit the highlights of the good things he did, but well, yeah. that's, um, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, during his second term, he... He posed for like eight-hour workdays among some other, at least at the time, kind of radical ideas that the House wasn't having. They're like, no, no, mm-hmm. we're not. No, we're not. We're not signing off on some of these ideas. His policies is interesting. Um, his policies were kind of sliding away from the Republic, Republican Party's policies at the time. Or maybe it was the Republican Party's policies are sliding away from his. Either way, there was that bit of split going on. And some controversy kind of from that because mm-hmm. it's like you changed or or maybe uh-huh. they changed uh-huh. and whatever. That's how it goes. You know, like the not to get off on the side thing, of course, but the Democrat Party and Republican Party of the 1800s are not the, the Democrats same. and Republicans of today. You know, right. they've changed quite a bit. At the time, you can have um, more than two terms. There wasn't like... There wasn't any rule on the books. It was tradition to have two, thanks to George Washington, because that was his count. But you didn't have to. Hmm. Theodore Roosevelt decided not to go for a third time. Uh, Not because he was, like, burned out so much as he thought that two terms was running the risk of turning to a dictator. Oh. Which, Hmm. I don't know that's true, but the fact that he had that concern was pretty good, I Mm -hmm. I feel like. (laughs) And um, funny enough, his cousin, Springley Delano Roosevelt, had four terms. Um, and was the only one to kind of go beyond two. And he's the reason why they like, okay, we need to make it a rule <laughs> that you can't just and keep None of this winning. unspoken stuff. We yeah, need to put this yeah. on paper. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so four terms is a lot. That seems outrageous. It's a massive amount of time. Yeah. So soon after he left office in 1909, he went on a safari in Africa on behalf of the Smithsonian, you know. So cool. Back animals. Or, yeah, because he's like this kind of adventurer dude, yeah. right? And it was a success. They got uh, 11,400 specimens 
ranging from some wow. insects or bugs or whatever. That's such a big number. Yeah, to I think at least one elephant. I don't know. Wow. It's crazy stuff. Now, upon coming back home, he elected a new president, which was William Howard Taft, the rotund one, if you will. <laughs> and he wasn't too happy. Taft, at least in Roosevelt's mind, was too conservative. He was making the Republican Party too conservative. Again, according to Roosevelt, mm-hmm. it's hard to kind of define uh-huh. what too conservative is sometimes. Yeah. But uh, so there's some fricks in there. You know, he wasn't too happy with kind of the state of his where his party was heading. So in the 1912 presidential election, Roosevelt ran against him in a Republican primary. Wow. Right. He's like, I'm coming back. Yeah. That didn't work out. However, Tasso won the primary. And to be fair, from what I've heard, it's pretty difficult to win against an incumbent president. Mm-hmm. Like that president has to be. Of the same party. Yeah. yeah. That president has to be very unpopular mm-hmm. for that to happen. From my understanding, not to be too topical, I'm just saying. <laughs> well, Theodore Roosevelt, he was like, fine, be that way. Again, my words, not his. And he left Republican Party and formed the Progressive Party. Then he ran for president as an independent. Uh, he made a lot of passive speeches, his typical bold nature. And this is where something happened that cemented his legacy as a total badass, if you'll pardon the term. <laughs> October 14th, 1912. Roosevelt, he's in Milwaukee. He's giving a speech. Suddenly, a saw runs out. He's been sought. Oh, my gosh. Specifically in the test. He hit, keeps giving the speech. Yeah. I must have the, heard that somewhere. The glass case and then his very thick, like, speech oh. pamphlet that he had written out. But he's like, oh I won't use that. Out. So he basically chased down this guy, had a hand over to authorities, and then he continued his speech like nothing had happened. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, how tough is that guy, right? How fortunate is yeah. he, too, that it didn't actually pierce him. Oh my There's a famous gosh. quote that he said, like immediately after this, in this piece, he's like, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know whether you fully understand that I have just been shocked, but it <laughs> takes more than that to kill a bull moose. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh yeah. my gosh. Wow. No, he was, he was a, he was a crazy man. Uh, by the way, the bull stayed in his body for the rest of his life. So. Wow. Yeah. Just must have been near, just in his chest somewhere. Yeah, like it, um, the all that stuff slowed it down, so it didn't hit his heart, but it got lodged in there. Wow. Yeah. Now, as you might already know, the 1912 election, I don't know if you know this or not, it was won by neither Roosevelt nor Taft. It was won by Woodrow Wilson, who was oh. a Democrat. Oh. Uh, we have a whole episode on him because he's a very divisive and interesting figure in himself, but we won't do that, at least not now. <laughs> um, though, to give an idea of how divisive it was, Wilson won with only 42% of the popular vote. Mm. But despite not winning the race, Roosevelt still beat Taft 27% and 23%. Mm. So there is that. Yeah, that's one of those elections that makes you go, okay. And if he hadn't run as an independent, mm-hmm. Taft might have been president. Maybe. I mean, some stuff like that it it happens all change the time. history completely. Yeah, no, it happens all the time. Yeah. Uh, votes get tangled up in like... Uh-huh. Uh, other candidates yeah, and stuff. It's yeah. like, it's a whole thing. So interesting. Mm-hmm. By the way, Wilson was a presence during World War One. Yes, kind of actually, I was, that's what I was thinking. And when yeah. I was thinking how different history might have been, mm-hmm. and I don't really know anything much about World War One except I did know. <laughs> I did know that only because I used to teach citizenship classes. Sure. So a year later, uh, well, on a South American expedition, because of course he was on one, because yeah. he was Theodore Roosevelt. Theodore got sick. He got an affected leg wound, mm. and I guess it wasn't treated properly or whatever. So he returned to the States, but he was still pretty ill. 
And for the next few years, he was sick. He was in pain. Oh. Uh, he kept getting bouts of malaria. It was it was a rough gig. Mm. Well, on January 6, 1919, was when he died in his sleep. Wow. Uh, some blood clot in his lungs had, like, suffocated him or whatever. Wow. And he was 60 years old. Wow. Mm-hmm. What a full life. Yes. One of my favorite presidents, I got to say. I don't agree with everything he did or stood for because I never do with yeah. any of these people. Well, you've painted a pretty likable picture of a mm. guy who is bold, stands for what he believes in, and tries to pull other people in what he thinks is the right direction. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Well, you agree with that directionism, I guess, a matter of debate, but it is, I think, admirable to kind of stand up for what you believe yeah. in. Um, as well as this being like an interesting character in his own right, yeah. like even putting aside like what he stood for. Yeah. Um, oh, totally. Yeah. Just the fact mm-hmm. that the things that he had to overcome. And I liked, for example, that he moved to North Dakota. Yeah. Seemed totally out of the blue. And sure, he had experience going in, you know, to the country from New York or sure, whatever. Yeah. But I mean, that's a whole different to become a rancher. Mm-hmm. So he had to. That's a learning curve. Yeah. He had to really embrace learning new things and be okay not knowing things and just be willing to learn. Because a lot of times we shut doors to opportunity because we're like, oh, I don't, I don't know how to do that or I'm not familiar with this or whatever. And, you know, we cut ourselves, we paint ourselves into a pretty small box. Yes. Because we're not willing to do new things. So I like that about him. We find our, our comfort zone yeah. and we stay in there and right. we don't like to leave. But I think it not only is it really admirable, I think it's very courageous to totally. be like, no, I want to go into the unknown. I want to see what's there. I want to experience it. I want to, you know, I want to explore. Yeah, I, I think, think that's, that's awesome really too. Cool. He was a bit divisive in his time, but today he's widely considered one of our better presidents. Like historians rank him within like the top five or something like that. Wow. Um, progressives like him because of his proposals about labor reforms and direct federal taxation and stuff like that conservatives like him because he had military values and and served and he was really um kind of focused on law and order and stuff mm-hmm. like that and of course you you know conservationists love this guy yeah, yeah. you know um so it's almost like everybody could find something about him that they people. like yeah yeah, yeah. Um, i guess most people would be more accurate i, I yeah. think some socialists and libertarians don't care for him too much <laughs> but uh, other than that, I think most people yeah. uh, like the guy. He uh, was one of the first presidents, if not the first president, to have his voice recorded oh. for prosperity. A few of his speeches survive. Like, you can find them online. That's so cool. Like, recordings of his speeches. He also, in 2005, had an asteroid named after him. Oh, that's cool. Yep. Uh, 188693 Roosevelt. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> it sounds kind of like a street, but whatever. <laughs> it does sound like an address, yeah. Yeah, so I want to talk about him because... He's super interesting. I think he's one of like, I don't know, he's a very influential president that I think we, uh, he often gets oversaddled by what comes after, so to speak, uh-huh. you know, uh, and the um, in public memory, you know, and their eyes, usually they don't think back to a century ago or yeah, over a century yeah. ago. Before the world wars. And- yeah, usually they're like, oh yeah, I'm a president, you know, Jimmy Carter. Uh, the buses, <laughs> you know, <laughs> stuff in like recent yeah. memory. Yeah. Um. So I just thought, hey, be interesting to talk about. And I loved it. Yeah. And I loved it. I could tell some you, stuff. you put a lot of work into that yes. and there's a lot to say about yes. him and you've really made this 2D old president really <laughs> like come to life. So that was, Thank that you. was really, really interesting. Thank you for that. Of course. Yeah. So 
next time, I guess. Yeah. Can, so what's what's good? We're looking we, forward to next time. Next time, it's gonna be a little bit of a um, not experiment. That's the wrong word. Uh, a bit of a special episode, I yeah. guess, and that makes it sound like I'm gonna be talking about like drug use or something. <laughs> it isn't. It's not that type of special episode. Basically, we had the this grand idea to have a. It might be on a shorter side, which is fine. Yeah. Um, kind of a, uh, how would you say it? Like uh, introduction, but like. Yeah, kind of. Uh, I mean, it seems introduction seems like it's not quite the right word because yeah. we're on episode thirty-four. <laughs> <laughs> but something that gives a little bit more of information about who we are, yeah, what we do. So what we're going to do, unless we change our minds in the production <laughs> of this, which is possible. But as it stands, what we're going to do is you, my lovely co-host, are going to ask me a bunch of questions about myself, and I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions about you. That's right. And hopefully in the in the uh, process, the audience will get to know us a little bit better. Of course, we know each other yes, pretty darn pretty well. Pretty well. So. <laughs> and after that, we will turn to history stuff, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Yes. A little bit messy, but that's all right. That's fine. Life's a little messy. Yeah. All right, listeners, so we hope to hear from you about the intro and outro. We hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have enjoyed this episode, and Jacob enjoyed researching it, (laughs) (laughs) right? Yes. No, no, it was good. It was a good one. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Confucius once said, study the past if you would define the future. You've been listening to the History Slices podcast with Jacob and Rachel. We hope you've gotten some useful information from the show. We hope we made you think, and we hope you were entertained. We know we had fun, and we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on Facebook at History Slices and on Instagram at History Slices Podcast. Make sure to like, rate, and review the show, and tell a friend about the show. That'll help us out, too. One more quote before we go from Michael Crichton. If you don't know history, then you don't know anything. You are a leaf that doesn't know it's part of a tree. Till next time, this is History Slices, signing off.